Hello, everyone. Hi, I'm Henry DeVries, and welcome to the Marketing with a Book podcast. I'm the CEO of Indie Books International, and we work with independent consultants who want to attract more high-paying clients by marketing with a book and a speech. Today, we're talking about a speech. Writing a book, in our opinion, is the number one way you can market your independent consulting, coaching, solo professional practice. The number one strategy for selling, for attracting clients, is speaking about the book. So we have one of our authors with us today, David Goldman. Uh, David, tell us about your book, and then we're going to have a little conversation about speaking. Oh, thanks, Henry. Uh, hi, I'm David Goldman. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I, I wrote a book called The Road to Happiness. I'm going to figure out once and for all how to hold this sucker. <laughs> and that, there you go. The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. And it's a, a series of stories about clients who hired me to get something that they thought they wanted. And in the end, they got something that they really wanted and then everything fell into place. Um, thanks for the shout out. Oh, well, David, I understand you think of yourself more as a trainer than a speaker. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, more, more like a coach. Uh, slash consultant. I, you know, I don't do a whole lot of training anymore. It's not, I'm not a guy you're going to see doing a, a full day, certainly not a full day. I will do a half day for some of my clients, but about 90% of my business, I would say is coaching. And most of that is one-on-one, -on -one. but thanks for asking Henry. One of the secrets we've learned is that books don't promote authors. Authors promote books. So obviously you've had some opportunities to speak about your book. Is giving a keynote presentation, even if it's a five minute one on Zoom, has that been a challenge for you? Uh, it, it can be a challenge. I, you know, sometimes I think of some of my coaching sessions, especially if I'm working with a client early in the process, it's more, of a speaking and it's more of a, of a teaching uh, certain principles that um, most people may have heard. Uh, I, I think I've been told that I, I have a different slant on certain things like very few people, for example, very few people have uh, not heard that you ought to have goals and write them down. But when I, when I talk to clients about it, and I talk to many clients who have not written down goals, and uh, when I do it, um, uh, they, I do it in a way that gets them to actually finally sit down and write their goals. Or we, we design what an ideal week would look like for them. And uh, each of those sections, to finally answer your question, Henry, could be seen as a mini speech. So, um, and I allude to those principles in the book when I'm telling uh, a story about one of the clients. So, uh, for instance, if I had a client who had an issue with organization, then, uh, then that story comes up when we talk about how important it is to design what an ideal week is and how to organize your time. Yeah. David, thanks for a great introduction to today's conversation. So David, some of your challenges and apprehensions, but also learning curve on speaking runs parallel to many of our authors at Indie Books. And we have more than 200 authors we've worked with. And we have a very special conversation today with the chairman of Indie Books International, a man who has been the past president of the National Speakers Association, a man who has trained more than a thousand consultants and coaches to be a professional speaker. So I'd like to introduce Mark LeBlanc, chairman of Indie Books International. And Mark, give us an introductory offering about 
speaking and keynotes. Well, thank you, Henry, and uh, always good to be with you. <clears throat> you know, at 21, I found out that speaking could be a profession. And uh, I went home uh, for the holidays and told my dad, I now know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he said, what's that? I said, I'm going to be a professional speaker. And he said, can you make any money doing that? And I said, I don't know, but I met this group called the National Speakers Association, and they're all rich. <laughs> now, little did I know, at 21, <laughs> they were not all rich, but where could a young guy put his toe in the water and learn, listen to and learn from some of the best of the best uh, professional speakers? Um, Little did I understand at that time, the, the journey or the, the quest or the, the path to becoming a professional speaker is, um, is paved with uh, uh, a number of speed bumps and a few landmines and uh, a few bombs uh, on stage. In fact, I bombed in my first paid a professional speech. And the fee was only $300, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm here to share with you that you too can bomb in your first paid professional speech and later dust yourself off and pick yourself up and go on to become the president of the National Speakers Association a group of, uh, at that time, 3,500 speakers and no listeners. One of the things that I learned about speaking and speeches and that there are different types uh, of speeches. I mean, it, it sounds so simple and elementary, but I think when we're on the path, um, we don't always see the nuances. I think a lot of people step into speaking uh, dreaming of the stage and being a keynote speaker. And certainly I did. I really thought that's what a speaker was supposed to be. Um, I think over the course of time and, and getting beaten down uh, or maybe not getting the reviews that I was hoping that I would get, uh, thinking that I was better than I was, um, I believe that's the worst mistake I've made in my career. Um, but really understanding the difference between a, a training, um, a facilitated experience, uh, a workshop or seminar. Um, I position myself more as a presenter of good business practices and with some interaction. And the more story I added and the more humor um, how I developed my humor um, made my fees go up as a presenter. But the keynote speech eluded me for more years than I care to remember. And it was 2014 where I was ready to throw in the towel on me as a keynote speaker, not necessarily to diss me as a presenter, but you know, the keynote speech is a different animal in the zoo. And I thought, you know, maybe that's just part of the uh, speak type types of speeches that I was not meant to deliver or give. And I thought before I, before I throw in the towel on being a keynote speaker, maybe I should just step back and come at this from another angle. And I began to study what makes a, a great TED talk. And I began to think, what if I modeled a keynote speech or what if I built a keynote speech on the same principles as creating a great a keynote speech? And I did that. And uh, I learned from, uh, I will say the great uh, Haley Foster, uh, who has uh, deep expertise in helping people with TED Talks. But I began to, use some of her principles in what makes a great TED Talk. And I began to see it in a different light. Um, 
And for all of my career, I had looked at a, at a keynote speech as more of a, uh, a shorter learning uh, experience. Uh, whenever I had a keynote speech, opening or closing event, it was like, okay, which strategies, which, how am I gonna open, how am I gonna close, which best practices, which strategies can I pull from my intellectual property toolbox and do a little razzle dazzle and, and put this together and deliver a keynote speech. But in fact, it was not a keynote speech. And what I learned from Haley and uh, Lou Heckler, I got some training from Lou Heckler uh, in my career, uh, uh, nationally renowned uh, speaker and presentation coach. Uh, I've gotten help from Eleni uh, Kalakos and uh, Tim Gard on my humor. And of course, hanging out with Henry has helped me understand the power of story and how to be a, uh, a better storyteller. But I, I, think it's, I, I think it's important to share that the better I became at telling stories, the more humor I brought into my presentation, I, I saw my fees go up. And I believe today that uh, your content is secondary to the experience that you create in a keynote speech. The hard news is just because you're a, a, a great consultant doesn't mean you're gonna be um, a good trainer. Just because you're a great trainer doesn't mean you're gonna be a great keynote speaker. And I think there is a connect the dots process that goes, uh, that connects these different types of presentations and the different purposes of the different types of presentations. But I will tell you this, there is hardly anything better in terms of how I deliver my work. There's hardly anything better than, a, than an impactful and influential keynote speech. I love working one-on-one -on -one with people, helping them grow their business. I love conducting my Achiever Circle business retreats. But boy, when you get on that stage and you've got 45 minutes to 75 minutes and you truly uh, engage their minds and touch their hearts and possibly have a soul-stirring moment uh, in your speech and then just making people laugh, there's hardly anything better uh, as... Uh, a presenter, um, but the road to keynote speaking um, is challenging at best. And um, I think we should unpack that a little bit here today and get some uh, perspectives, Henry, from you and from David and Dr. Carey and anyone else who's uh, on this call. Thank you, Mark. Suzanne, why don't you, there we go, thanks. You're like Radar O'Reilly, uh, Suzanne, you anticipate before I can even get the request out, thank you. Um, so last week, you and I delivered a speech on Friday. We both delivered a speech on Friday. And I'd like you to give me the inside baseball on your creating that speech. I've known you for 15 years, and for 15 years, I've seen you work on getting better and better. And even in this last year, there's things that you've learned and are using to improve. So unpack a little bit about the speech last week and some of the things you were using to improve it. Well, thank you for asking. Um, I think first and foremost, it goes back to the structure uh, of the speech. Um, you know, too often we look at how do we improve our presentation skills, and while that's important, uh, often the structure of a speech will allow you to sort of rest and relax and be more confident and at ease as you're connecting the dots and going through the uh, presentation. But I experimented. In fact, uh, I, Henry, you were the opening speaker. I was the closing speaker on Friday. And it was a completely different structure than I had ever uh, used before. 
a number of things I gleaned and worked with and worked on in the last 12 months with Eleni uh, Kalakos, uh, one of our indie books authors who, who has some uh, has deep expertise on short talks. I prepared a 30-minute uh, presentation and found myself, as often is the case, um, needing to edit on the fly to make sure that we ended on time. And for some speakers, that can be incredibly challenging. As, you're, as I'm speaking, I'm editing on the fly as I look in the calendar thinking, or in the camera, it's like the clock is ticking, which parts do I leave out and, and have it appear to be seamless. Um, part of the structure, Henry, is going back to my story and uh, my dream of being a professional speaker. Um, but my hero in the speaking world was a speaker named Ira Hayes. And I heard him when I was 22 years old. And one of the things I remember from his presentation was the message, keep going. And on Friday, I used the story of Ira and when I was 22, as part of the opening, part of the closing was my experience walking the Camino uh, de Santiago, 500 mile uh, walk across Spain. And on the Camino, there's a Latin word you begin to see everywhere in the last 100 miles or so. And that Latin word is altrea. And it, and it means, keep going. And in between my single message, um, keynote speech should be built around a single message or sometimes what I would say, a secondary message and a primary message. And so my secondary message was keep going. And I used the front end of the speech and the back end of the speech to tie uh, almost like uh, 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 bookends to the speech. And then my story on my first Camino of Judith, um, I was not the hero. Um, uh, Judith was my sage and she was another walker on the Camino. And she gave me the greatest pearl of wisdom that I've ever heard in my entire career. And she said to me, Mark, no matter how badly your feet are bruised and blistered and bleeding, you can always take one more step. And I hung on to that pearl of wisdom for over a million steps walking across Spain, but not only in the walk, but also just in my career since 2008. Every moment when I hit a speed bump or had doubt and uncertainty and chaos, um, I just hung on to that phrase. And so many people hit roadblock after roadblock or speed bump after speed bump. People think that walking the Camino uh, physically is hard. And certainly there are some physical challenges, but it's the mental and emotional part of walking the Camino, or it's the mental and emotional uh, parts of building a business, or it's the mental and emotional parts of writing a book. Um, writing is easy. It's, it's the battle that's going on in your mind, whether you're a good writer or the content is good. So I, I really work hard to connect the story of the Camino to what my audience members might be going through in their particular world. And it's a, it's a challenging bridge to cross because I don't want the speech to be about me and the Camino. I wanna make those connections to what Camino are you on in the moment? Whether it's growing your business, whether it's writing a book, whether it's turning your life into an adventure, how do you keep yourself in the game um, and reminding people that they too can always take one more step. When I tell a story in a speech and it's what I would call an 
autobiographical story. It's about me. I like to have a line in there, and I've learned this from you, is this story is really not about me, it's about you and the connective tissue. What about the connective tissue that's behind you, your, your backdrop? We're on Zoom now and in that Zoom world. Um, how is that connecting them to the story? Is that a um, Zoom background or what is it, Mark? Um, well, it, it's actually since COVID and in the last uh, 20 months, um, I have been uh, shining a light on my keynote speaking and my keynote type stories. So while I'm not doing a lot of um, what we would call traditional keynotes or even Zoom virtual keynotes, like some of my um, speaker pals are doing on Zoom, but I'm bringing keynote type stories into my achiever circles, into my three hour workshops or presentations. So it's almost like I wanna open and close a three hour workshop um, with uh, an opening part of a keynote speech and close it with the closing part of a keynote speech. And this picture behind me was the money shot on every Camino I do, and I currently have done three 500 mile walks, I take about a thousand photos, but one photo becomes the money shot. And this was the money shot from Camino number two. And I, I certainly started on Zoom with it as a virtual background, um, but, but because this is that important to me, I went to a supplier partner of mine. Her name is Amy Locken, and she actually created about a five foot by four foot board with this photo on it. It's a magnetized board behind me. And so sometimes the virtual screens or the greens, you know, green screens, they um, uh, are, are just not always as professional. Uh, as we want them to be. And, you know, for me, Henry, and I think you know me well enough, good enough is not good enough in my book. I'm constantly looking for that edge uh, or that coach or that tool that will help me uh, elevate my game as a professional speaker. Because at 21, I said, I will do whatever it takes to make it. Uh, on my own and pursue my dream as a professional speaker. I don't know how much I paid for that. A uh, couple hundred dollars maybe, um, uh, but whatever it was, it was worth every nickel versus just saying, oh, the Zoom virtual background, oh, good enough. Can't see my ear sometimes, well, who cares? Everybody understands that that's what's going on with you know Zoom backgrounds. That's a bunch of baloney. Uh, As we're talking visuals, I want to talk about PowerPoint. And you could have had that photo as a PowerPoint slide. You could have brought it in, taken it out. What's your view about PowerPoint, especially in our virtual speaking world? Um, I, I'm not a fan. Um, over the last 39 years, I probably could count on one, maybe two hands, the number of presenters. And I'm not just talking keynote speakers, I'm talking all types of presenters and trainers and facilitators who somehow made up a story that they were not a real presenter or trainer unless they used PowerPoint. And for me, I found PowerPoint limiting. I found it a little more stressful in terms of technology. And I guess throughout my business and business career, I tend to lean more on what I have control over. And the only thing I have control over is my story and humor and my content and how I deliver it. And so for me, using PowerPoint, there's no judgment on those who use PowerPoint. It is a skill, 
like everything else, but people think it's an easy skill to learn. Uh, it might be an easy skill to try, but to master the use of PowerPoint. And too many presenters are using too many PowerPoint slides. And I often get asked the question, well, Mark, in a one hour presentation, how many PowerPoint slides should you have? And my answer is as many as it takes um, to deepen the message that you want to bring. Um, but I would say five to seven slides. Um, those people who are using a slide a minute or two slides a minute, all, the, all they really have is a clicker and too many slides and often no stories. Um, I often, I also think that slides most of the time should be more image-based um, versus, you know, three or four bulleted items. Uh, an image, a phrase, uh, can certainly create a visual or a set uh, of visuals. But um, I've tried PowerPoint. I've fallen into the trap of, well, you know, everybody uses it. Um, I was dinged pretty seriously in a presentation I was hired to deliver uh, a number of years ago because I did not use PowerPoint. And I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of the attendees were somehow miffed or they weren't able to take photos of my slides and they didn't wanna take notes. Um, as, a, as a default, I've had to default to, by God, without PowerPoint, I better become a better storyteller. I better begin to bring better humor. Um, you know, the bar to be a professional speaker today is really very low, unfortunately. And I'm always stunned um, when a meeting planner or a decision maker or the director of business development comes up to me after a presentation and says, oh my God, uh, Mark, this was great. You know, um, nobody left. And, and moreover, nobody was looking at their phones. And the moment we are using too many PowerPoint slides, and I've watched it in large ballrooms, where a speaker will be on stage trying to make a point using a PowerPoint slide or too many PowerPoint slides. And our audience members will judge that moment in a nanosecond. And if it does not capture their attention or keep them engaged, they immediately are down on their phone checking their text messages, checking their email until the next slide comes up. And then they'll literally look up at the slide. Uh, does this have any relevance to me in this moment? And if it does, they'll snap a photo of it. If it doesn't, they're back on their phone. And sometimes they're texting people in the ballroom, you know, their pals like, can you believe this speaker? You know, these slides are awful. Um, I've heard that a thousand times. Um, you want to grab lunch as soon as this, you know, uh, speaker, you know, the speech is over. And so we keep people engaged with story and humor and then um, surprise them with a point, you know, or surprise them with a, a, a piece of content and then right back to story and humor. Um, and I always look at the master speakers out there um, are masterful storytellers. You don't even know you're learning something. It's almost by uh, surprise. I think of people, uh, the late Ira Hayes. I think of uh, one of my friends, Mark Scherenbrock uh, out of Minneapolis. Um, amazing storytellers that are so incredibly impactful uh, and influential. Um, but I've, I've ditched the PowerPoint and every time I get seduced by, I should have a few PowerPoint slides, um, I'm, not, I'm not practiced with them. Um, now, what I will do for a corporate presentation is I will often have a a title slide um, 
and you know, with my name and the title of the keynote speech. My second slide might be this photo. That, that's all it is. Um, and I might have a closing slide um, with simply the word Altrea in big, bold letters. So when they're walking out of the ballroom, they can connect that funny looking word that is spelled odd. You know, now they see a visual of it. Uh, but in a keynote speech, uh, as our friend Bill Stainton uh, would share, you know, uh, it needs to be built around a single point. And my single point is you can always take one more step. And so everything I do is, is driving um, that message. It's interesting in your talk because there's a character, Judith, that's in there. And you actually engage in theater of the mind as you're describing Judith and talking about her. And that can be so much more powerful than, let me show you a slide of Judith. And it goes up. I just wanted to comment before I ask a question. So the comment is, I have many meeting planners who demand, demand that I have PowerPoint. Um, they panic when I say, oh, I don't use PowerPoint. Well, you have to have PowerPoint. We have to have a PowerPoint show. So what I've gone to is I might have nine photos, hmm. no words, nine photos, and they all relate to a story I tell. Sure. There's a picture of a Hollywood sign. There's a picture of the shark tank, uh, the, the sharks on shark tank. So that's one technique. I want to comment though on workshops and training because I speak in the Vistage world, Vistage International, the world's largest CEO peer-to-peer -peer group. And one of our authors, Dean Menudo, was Vistage Speaker of the Year. And he really encouraged me to be a Vistage speaker and worked with me on what a Vistage talk is, which is totally about engagement. However, he says, you have to have two things. And I've added a third. His two things was, one, you have to have some PowerPoint slides. You don't have them on all the time, but every once in a while you'll come to a slide or two and then you put the screen black. Mm -hmm. Unless they had some PowerPoint slides, they didn't think you were a professional speaker. Yeah. The other thing you need is video. And I actually paid to have video interviews and I showed these two minute clips during the presentation. Because unless you're using video, you're not a professional speaker, you're not cutting edge. Uh, the third thing I use are props. And this mm -hmm. is something Dean Menudo taught me the power of, and I've seen you use. I'm gonna ask you to talk about some of the props you've been using through the years. Um, if you want a prompt, one's a book and another is a box. So the importance of visual aids connecting to the brain, we know that in speaking. Talk mm -hmm. about some of the props, and you used to never use props, but you've, you've started to bring them into some of your presentations. Would you share? Well, I, I certainly have uh, am more comfortable with props than I am with other, with PowerPoint slides. And, you know, I don't know where the book is that says, the rule book that says, if you, if you don't use PowerPoint slides, you're not a real speaker. Um, but, but I have, uh, I will say some exaggerated props, meaning, and I think you're referring to that, and I don't have it within arm's length, but I, uh, I have an author who wrote a, I mean, this, this book is so big. Um, it's like the entire 23 volume edition of Encyclopedia Britannica in one book. And, you know, it's like, it could be a weapon, you know, you could have it on your on your nightstand, if somebody broke into your house, you could kill somebody uh, with it. Um, and then, of course, my first book, Growing Your Business, was 77 pages. 
And I moved over over 80,000 copies uh, of that little book. And um, I've got a fun meter button. Uh, there you go, yeah, um, uh, image. I'm also working now, um, I don't have them, I've not received them yet, but I have some other virtual presentation props. And I earlier I said, this is a magnetized board. I can flip this over at a break and it'll be like a whiteboard that I could write on. But it, when I flip it over, it's magnetized. And so I have some other props or disks that will um, uh, sort of be images of my nine best practices and certain points. And so if I'm talking about best practice two or best practice seven, I'll have a, a magnetized disk that I can hold up and then just slap it on the board. Uh, it can be behind me. So it's, I guess it's a little different form of PowerPoint, but I, I do have to share this example because the presentation where I was dinged pretty badly, I'm gonna say about six or seven years ago, um, my reviews were not very positive, um, about 400 people in the audience, um, 76 people, a little more, almost 20%, um, the majority of them were negative reviews. Um, interestingly enough, 40 people came up and gave me their business card. I don't think they're the ones that gave me the negative reviews. But there was one gentleman, um, and I, in my mind, this is a healing moment of my career. Uh, one gentleman stayed back until everyone was gone. And he, he came up to me and he said, Mark, I just want to thank you for your presentation today. You're not a real speaker, are you? And I said, I said, what do you, what do you, I said, what do you mean? And he said, he looked at me in the eye and he said, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I'm not sure I'm tracking with you here. He goes, um, most speakers are book reports. And we've used that term before, um, a, a, an emerging speaker who essentially does research by reading a number of books and they're presenting an oral book report. He said, you're the first speaker that I've ever heard where I felt like you knew what we needed, you knew what we wanted, you knew where our problems were, and you didn't need a lot of the voodoo and mumbo jumbo and slide deck uh, that so many speakers. So, um, you know, I don't think many people feel the way that he did, um, but I guess, as my friend Joe Calloway would say, uh, if, you know, your goal is to become a category of one. And, you know, I listen to some speakers when they talk about dare to be different, and then I'm different, and then I get criticized uh, for it. Um, my, uh, I guess he's not a mentor, but somebody I look up to, Joel Weldon, who's a legend in the speaking industry, um, came to hear me speak. And um, one of his messages that I followed for years um, and not that I build myself as a contrarian, I just don't follow the crowd on certain things. But according to Joel Weldon, if everyone is going this way, then figure out what you can do to go that way. And that's what I've done uh, throughout my career, even though in some circles I've paid the price for it. Yeah. Mark, Scott Love, and I have just written a book called Rainmaker Confidential. It's research we've done over the year on what the top rainmakers are doing, investing their time, treasure, talent. What are they doing more of? What are they doing less of in this pandemic? What's their go-to strategy? As we're coming out of the pandemic, what do they see the changes are going to be? A, a quick one is the virtual world is here to stay some bells are not going to be ringing and people are going to run around saying the pandemic's over, the pandemic's over. And we'll all go back to how we were in 2019. Not going to happen. 
because of what we've seen as possible with Zoom. Zoom can be your best friend. Uh, but one of the things that I knew that visuals were important and I've had to overcome is first the background that I have. Um, I didn't go to a Zoom background. I, I was locked down in a corner of my house for a year. And, uh, you know, I had a screen behind me, but that wasn't good. Now that I've returned back to the office, uh, I've turned my office into a set, like a TV set, like, mm -hmm. uh, like um, oh, the reference is pretty old. Um, the guy, uh, Andy Rooney at the end of 60 Minutes or some other commentator that would be on a show like that. You see him in an office and they're talking to you. That's what I was going for. Sure. But I also know other visuals had to happen. In our book, one of the big strategies was what's called the Trojan horse strategy. And it wasn't until I was giving the talk on Friday that I thought, you know, a prop would really be good one day. It took me one day to get this mm. toy, a wooden mm. Trojan horse on Amazon that I can use. Now, I did think to go get a prop. This one cost me 79 cents at Trader Joe's on Friday morning before my speech uh, because I mentioned a carrot in the speech. Well, I've also sent away for a plush carrot, Mark, so I don't have to go to Trader Joe's. Every time we present, uh, these are gonna go in tomorrow's soup I think um, I tell a story. Soup? Oh, go ahead. The, the sacred soup. Oh, oh, the sacred soup. There you go. Thanks. That's that's a bit from our three-hour workshop where I talk about uh, sacred selfishness and your sacred soup pot. That if you want to be able to help other people, you need to be able to help yourself first. You need to have soup in your pot to give away. Um, one a story that is a great bit that I'm working into our Rainmaker Confidential Conversations is what I call the chicken story. It mm -hmm. has to do with something somebody said in a focus group that um, it, a consultant is like a restaurant that doesn't have a menu and they ask you questions like, well, what do you want? And you say chicken and they go, oh, there's a lot that goes into chicken. May I ask you a few chicken questions? And Tim Gard, Hall of Fame speaker, a uh, really good friend of Mark, uh, really considered part of the Indie Books family, um, very helpful. He took me aside and said, you need to get a rubber chicken for that bit. You need to get a rubber chicken to talk about that bit. And actually, when you get back in front of people and give that keynote, you need to have a little tiny rubber chicken enough so everybody in the audience gets a tiny rubber chicken to remember you by. This isn't just silly or wanting to be fun, or funny. This is about neuroscience. Mm -hmm. This is about how people remember us, how we impact the brain. Stories impact the brain. Visuals impact the brain. It's more than just writing up a script and memorizing a script. Um, Mark, I want to ask you about that. What's your view on should you have your entire presentation memorized every word like an actor putting on a play? Um, I would say no, um, because we're not actors in a play or we're not actors that are practicing uh, movie lines. Um, I do think, and I do, I do word process or I do write out different pieces and, and bits um, but then I learned a little trick from uh, Des Thornton, um, one of our pals, and he helped me create a grid on a single sheet of paper, uh, 11 by eight and a half sheet of paper, almost like a cross tic-tac-toe uh, grid and built around nine boxes and putting either an image or a keyword or phrase in each one of those nine boxes. And so I wrote out my script almost word for word uh, for last Friday's closing presentation. But then I set it aside and created the grid of my nine phrases. And so when I was delivering the speech, I was never in danger of 
looking at the script or losing my place because it became sort of nine dots that I connected the dots. Now, what we did do uh, going behind the curtain is I already have the manuscript or the recorded version of last Friday's presentation, which was 23 minutes. And uh, I got it today uh, from rev.com. And so now I actually have the word for word transcript after the speech of what I said. Now I can go into that speech and I can look for uh, grammatical errors. I can look for, oh, um, maybe I need to rearrange something in my outline or structure. I've got some work coming up with Eleni uh, Kalakos, and we'll look at the structure and maybe do some reordering or resequencing or look, look at some phrases that maybe I'm using that I should drop and not use and look at adding different phrases or upgrading that script. And then I will upgrade the chart, the Des Thornton chart. Um, but, but I think for the, this is, it seems odd for somebody who's delivered over a thousand presentations, not a thousand keynote speeches, but over a thousand presentations, um, I got to tell you, I think last Friday, uh, even though it was the first time I had given that particular speech with that particular structure, I walked away uh, not just feeling good or proud, but I feel like for the first time in my career, I have a million dollar keynote speech in the making. Uh, from a structure perspective, from a opening and closing perspective and where I can expand and contract uh, that speech. And my keynote speech is titled Never Be the Same, based on my book, Never Be the Same. Um, we've, Henry, as you know, and for our listeners and viewers, uh, book and speech, same title is a one-two punch. You know, my first book was titled Growing Your Business hey, we need to find a speaker this year who can help our members uh, grow their business. Oh, I know, maybe we should get the guy who wrote the book growing your business. And so there's a lot of power and impact in book and speech, same title. Mark, before we go, I just wanna brag on you for a moment. The year is 2010, the place is the Holiday Inn in Bloomington, Minnesota. I'm putting on a marketing with a book event for 12 consultants. And I ask you to be a guest speaker. Unbeknownst to me, your mother, Lois, was going into the hospital. And you walked into that room and you asked questions and found out what was on the audience's mind. And then you stood and delivered mm -hmm. and you gave them what they needed at that time. Uh, it wasn't a talk I'd ever heard you give. Obviously it was in the moment, you're in the moment and you were helping people. And then you went off and went to the hospital to be with your mom. And how were you able to do that? Hmm. So it might be a too tough of a question, but how were you able to do that? Well, uh, I'm not even sure I have a good answer for that. Um, I guess what comes to mind is, um, Something I learned from Ogmandino, who wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World. And I was a big fan of, of Ogs and was fortunate to get to meet him and uh, early on in my career. But one of his principles or um, pearls of wisdom is really stepping back and make sure that you, when you're when you are in business, you're in business. When you're at home, you're at home. 
and that you don't bring your personal life into your business or vice versa. You don't bring your business life home and you keep those two separate. That's not always easy today. I think that might've been a little easier 50 years ago. Um, I think today's world, it's a little more challenging to keep those guardrails or boundaries between work and home. I think, Henry, I took a deep breath and, and I'm not gonna say I've always been able to do this um, because there are probably have been moments where you maybe see me not do that as well um, uh, as maybe I could have. Um, but I think, I think uh, the, the challenge for speakers is especially when you're standing in front of a group you really have to make it all about them. And I think on that particular day, I was more committed to them in that moment than what was going on behind the curtain. And when there are two types of speakers, those who think it's first about them and second about the audience and those who think it's first about the audience and second about them. And uh, sometimes we get mixed up. You know, one of the interesting things is, and I thought this too early on in my career, I thought that every speech was supposed to be a home run. And it's just not that way. I could speak 50 times a year and maybe only hit five home runs. Maybe every other year hit a grand slam. But most of my presentations have been stand-up doubles. <laughs> you know, maybe a triple. Uh, some singles and a few strikeouts. I, I thought you might like that baseball. Uh, you're the Tony uh, Oliva. You're the Tony Oliva of yeah, speaking. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, someone said to me once, you know, you're a journeyman speaker, you know, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? You, you just, you just have done the work and you keep doing the work and you're a journeyman. You're not a Minnesota Vikings player. You're not famous. You just, have committed to the craft of speaking. And I'm just as excited today about the future of presenting virtually and in person as I have been the last 39 years. I think people need to hear us in whatever format we are charged with delivering. And I think they need to read us. As long as we remember, it's about the work helping people. We're here to help people. Thank you so much, Mark. I, we can share so much more on another call. And I hope this encourages our authors and authors out there to be the journeyman, to do the work, to know you're not as good as you think you are, and be committed to working to get better. It's a, it's a journey. Thanks for being on the journey with us. That's it for this week's podcast of Marketing with a Book. Uh, stay tuned and be with us next week. Thanks, everybody.